if you really think about it, these leaders often get described as being action-oriented, organized, friendly, genuine. You know, there's a whole list, right? And I always tell them, those are table stakes. If you really want to get ahead and you want to stand out, you need to think about things like innovative, global-minded, forward-thinking, industrious. Those are the kinds of things that are going to separate you from your counterparts. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. This is episode 99, right there on the edge of 100. Our special guest is Sarah Canaday, and the title is Unchained Leadership, what it takes to improve your leadership and influence. Sarah is a fascinating guest for us. She has a ton of experience in working with large companies, both internally and now as a consultant, speaker, and coach to help them create high-performance cultures that are people-focused. One of Sarah's specialty is what it takes to shift from being an individual contributor to a manager and then to a leader. She's going to talk about one of the challenges we have with feedback. She's going to talk about a really interesting concept called applied self-awareness. And most importantly, she's going to give you strategies and tactics and mindsets to help you grow your leadership and your influence. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. I am so thrilled to be back here today for another conversation. And the reason I'm thrilled is it just, it's very personal for me. We were talking to Sarah Kennedy before we got on today and some of her books. And one of her books is called Leadership Unchained. And obviously, we love leadership. <laughs> the other one is called You, Y-O-U, Uncovering the Blind Spots that Impact Your Reputation and Career. <laughs> and if you've listened at all, you know that Craig and I just love talking about the power of blind spots and how important it is to address them. So I feel like we're like best friends already, Sarah. Sarah is, um, I'm, I'm guessing we'll find out later, similar to me, and she's a keynote speaker. I'm curious how much she's been doing of that for the last year. Uh, she's an award-winning author. We just mentioned two books. She's a former corporate executive who helps arm professionals with strategies and practices they can use to make the critical shift from informed to influential. And you know we talk about influence so much. We talk about shifts. Another shift is from the doer to the driver, from the manager to the leader. Yes. Uh, She works with Fortune 500 companies who are committed. And I love that word because you're, you know, you're, are you, are you here to play or just dance around the edges? So these are companies that are committed to help their managers strengthen their leadership skills, improve business relationships, and enhance their performance. And I love she shares this when she's not speaking or working with clients, she's cheering on her son's football team. (laughs) (laughs) I love this one hiding shoe purchases from her husband and her seven year, 17 year old daughter. 
I only had sons, but I'm, I get that. I think I get that. <laughs> Ordering double cappuccinos at Starbucks. Uh, please join us in welcoming. Uh, well, we don't need to do that. This is not a stage. <laughs> I'll just add this. The other thing I love is, and I'm going to have to ask you about it, Sarah. She's a wannabe cupcake wars judge, not a contestant. She wants no. to be the judge, which I think that means you just want cupcakes all the time. Absolutely. <laughs> so it's not about a, the creation, it's eating a cupcake. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the cooking channel. Um, and, you know, whether it's the spring baking championship or cupcake wars, I, I always say, gosh, I want to be that judge. I want to taste all of these incredible desserts. I'm a big sweet tooth. And so, <laughs> Paul Hollywood and the Great British Baking Show. Yes. I mean, I would love to have that job. Sign me up. <laughs> well, Great, well, that's welcome, one Sarah. thing. Yeah, that's one thing we don't have in common, Sarah. It's okay. <laughs> me, I, I don't I don't watch cooking shows. I don't watch home repair, remodeling shows. When I do, I break out in hives. <laughs> and I think I'm one of the only people in the United States, at least, who when I walk into a Lowe's Home Depot or something like that, an alarm goes off to let them know that someone incompetent has entered the building. <laughs> so then they follow me around the store. So let's talk leadership. This is yeah. leadership junkies. <laughs> nah. And let's start with a really uh, an easy question, which is give us a little bit of the Sarah story. Well, I don't know that my story is uh, terribly unique in that I started out like many do. I started out in the corporate world, uh, except for I was in the very sexy industry of insurance. <laughs> Uh, started on the ground floor, worked my way up, went to school at night to get my MBA. And eventually, you know, my final years uh, in terms of my corporate career experience, I had reached a level of VP of operations at an insurance company. Um, but it was a sort of a personal uh, shift uh, for me that led to me exploring this idea of going out on my own. And um, you know, the part of the job that I always loved is some of the operations, but I loved the leading other people. I loved the uh, communication aspect of how to get people on board, get them engaged, what mm. moved them, what motivated them. Um, how could I help leaders um, move through that and be more, more impactful? And frankly, because some of it was what I observed in some of the leaders I had, and you know, I hate to say it, but in, in probably half or less than half the cases, it was what I wouldn't do as a leader. Um, I saw the profound impact it had on myself and others. And then I also had people reporting to me that were brilliant and well-meaning and well-intentioned, but they never had any role models. They never mm. had any guidance. So behind closed doors, I would hear things like, oh, well, you know, she knows her stuff, but, you know, we can't send her that conference to represent us because she might be a loose cannon or, mm. you know, he's, he's really good at his, his stuff, but I just don't see him, you know, motivating others. And that's where it just, you know, I thought, wow, you know, there are people who just don't have the role models and they don't have anybody guiding them to make a more, a better impact. Totally so it's agree. interesting you mentioned role models, because when I hear that, Sarah, 
I guess I have a slightly different reaction. I think everybody has role models. The problem is who were they and <laughs> yeah. how, and how intentional were they as role models to say, this is what I'm modeling. Because my belief literally over the last 18 months is I've started to feel that so much of where leadership is today. And I, I, I think it's, I think it's in crisis, frankly, I think, I think we're getting further away from impactful and influential leaders than closer that, but a lot of leaders today were led by people who didn't lead the way that need leadership needs to happen today. I'm not giving them an out card, but it's kind of like no one ever showed them. They, and, and they saw success before. So why would I change when I, this is what I know it's comfortable and it worked for them. So do you see that? And how does that tie into the role model? I do see it. And you bring up a really good point. Um, and I think, you know, that's a, a good uh, segue into, you know, some of what I talk about in a lot of my workshops or presentations is that I'm very vulnerable in saying that there are things that I did that I was rewarded for hmm. as a leader. Um, so, of course, that felt like success. But yeah. when I look back at it, it really wasn't the optimal approach, yeah. right? And so that's the, the, hence the title, Leadership Unchained. The, the subtitle is that we need to defy conventional wisdom in order for breakthrough performance. And I'm somebody who, you know, I followed the rules. My father was <laughs> you know, former military. Um, and so, you know, I was going to do things by the book and or what I observed. And you can imagine an insurance company is one of the most traditional insurance and banking. And I would say one of the most traditional leadership styles. There was little to no risk taking, say mm. that. Yep. Um, and there wasn't this idea of leader as coach. Mm. You know, granted, some of that's just, it's a decade thing, right? I've been out of corporate for 13 years, but even so, that just wasn't your role. Your, your role was performance and get the most work out of the people you could meet your metrics. And, you know, if, if the, your people grew along the way, great, <laughs> but that's not really your, that's not really your charge. So I'm guessing you didn't have conversations about two key words that we talk about a lot, trust and vulnerability. No. In fact, if I use that word in a meeting, <laughs> then I would probably be um, not necessarily escorted out, but the eyes would roll. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you that. Yep. And they probably would have uh, genderized it, I would guess. Oh, time. absolutely. That, oh, absolutely. oh, my God, there's that woman thing. Uh, it's fascinating. And there's no, you know, I believe in synchronicity. So, of course, this is where you started. Because Craig and I, two hours ago, did a leadership presentation on trust-based leadership how it creates high performance. And one thing we talked about was how we've got to be careful how we define performance because too many people think that performance is metrics-based performance, getting the job done. But when you look at performance holistically and really richly what it can be, then you can build leaders and people who are, are high-performing, but they're in this empowering, everybody grows, you know, all boats rise kind of type of leadership. And that's the performance we like to talk about. Well, I think there's a big difference there in that there's the short term, let's get these particular metrics. You know, it's that kind of quarterly, quarterly mentality 
versus how am I going to build a vibrant organization that thrives for the long term and where our people want to get the work done? Yeah. And, you know, what, what occurs to me is that, you know, if I'm, I haven't done this in a while, but if, if I'm facilitating a executive retreat and we're talking about what really needs to happen, what are the vital few objectives for the next year? And then we talk about what is it going to take to get there? And my next question, and I devote a good amount of time to this next question is, what are the behaviors that we need in order to support reaching these goals hmm. so that people can see that reaching a target is not only full of performance and metrics, it means behaviors that support those performance goals and metrics, right? Hmm. It's both. It's always both. Well, you can't achieve anything without behaviors. There's some sort of behavior and the behaviors are usually dr driven by belief systems or stated intent and purposes that you choose to stay in integrity with. But ultimately, you've got to change a behavior, even if the behavior is to stop something. We're going to stop doing so. I'm, not, I'm stopping something. Right. So right. I, I want to ask both of you this question because I'm the odd one out here. I'm the only one here on this call that doesn't have an MBA. And, and I, Craig, I know you got years later in your career, not at the beginning. I mean, you didn't go 30, right. MBA. 35, 33, something like that. And, and Sarah, was it right out of college? Mm -hmm. But you did it later as well. You were working. I think there was maybe five years between okay. undergrad and grad. So here's my question to both of you. In your program, do you feel that there was a lot of attention given to anything that sounded like creating a vibrant workplace or anything like it? Yes. It's funny. I thought, I thought Craig might say that. Um, and I'm embarrassed to tell you how long ago uh, <laughs> my graduate experience was. And again, I think it was a sign of the times because there was very little of it. I mean, you know, I remember quantitative, you know, analysis, but somehow I don't remember the talks about organizational behavior. Um, it, it just wasn't a big part of the program. And yet, right. yeah, go ahead. The part I love. Right. My, exactly. My, my undergrad degree was in organizational <laughs> communication. And yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and we I'm had, looking at you, we're not going to ask your age, but uh, I'm really confident that you're younger than me. And I say yeah. that to say that in our world today, that's part of that role model piece that if you look at, you know, we look at how we got educated and then we went into a workplace that didn't have it or talk about it, or maybe you got lucky and had it, but that's luck these days. So you grew up in a world. And so I'm not, again, I'm not an out card, but I think that's part of the challenge to the shift. Is you're going you're basic it's like talking a foreign language to someone. Well, sure. What do you mean? What really we're gonna oh, I'm sorry, I thought we were talking about hitting our numbers for the quarter. <laughs> I didn't know. Wait, we're just talking about a vibrant workplace. But wait a minute. Okay. So yeah, I know it sounds crazy, but it it's the outcome, right? The outcome, the symptom is is essentially we want greater performance, but what goes into getting that? You can't have higher performance if your people aren't performing higher. 
That's right. But but here's the thing, Craig. This comes back to this whole story. I mean, obviously, I get it. I mean, my sarcasm is yeah, there, but right. think about how few people, at least in this country, grew were educated that that does create the outcome. We're sitting here saying, well, of course, that's the outcome. They've never seen it. They've never lived it. They've never been pressured by it. Like you said earlier, Sarah, they got rewarded. They got promoted for getting stuff, stuff done. Yeah. <laughs> Being productive. Yeah. And Sarah, I'm really curious how you look at this whole issue of shifting from individual contributor to manager and manager to leader and what those, what those shifts are that, that, that people need to go through. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, had this question yesterday by somebody who is an individual contributor um, mm -hmm. and very highly technical uh, domain expert. And, you know, what I always tell them is that, you know, people want like, okay, so tell me what to do to get to the next level. <laughs> well, I say, hold on a minute. I would challenge you to just think first about, is it a fit for you? Absolutely. And, uh, in fact, I directed him to a course I have on LinkedIn that's called transitioning from technical professional to manager. Okay. And in it, I start with an audit and there are questions that you can ask yourself. Um, one example being, will I be okay letting go of my domain expertise? Um, you know, mm. Will I be um, disciplined enough that when somebody comes to me with a question that I know the answer to, I won't give them the answer. Ouch. I will ask them, <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. Or wow. tell me um, how that plays out for you. You know, so it's an audit that kind of gets people to think, wait a minute, how would I feel? Because I'm used to being solely responsible for my performance. I'm used to being a subject matter expert and now things will shift. So I think that's the first step, right? From, from individual contributor to manager. The other thing that I, I talk about in that class is to get some sort of an understanding of your leadership style. And, if, and, and I laugh because it's like, well, how do I know if I've not been a leader? <laughs> so I have a, a, a separate handout that kind of guides people through the most common four or five leadership styles. And people are pretty intuitive. They can get a sense of maybe where they are on the spectrum. And we, you know, we have to use all the styles, but where is probably where you land most of the time? And would it serve the industry, the company, and the role that you're seeking? And should you sharpen that style? Should you balance it more with others? Um, but, you know, the biggest thing is, is making the assumption that, that you can devote as much time as you did before to your metrics, to building widgets, whatever your, you know, process is, and that you're good, even if you're good at organizing work for yourself and motivating yourself, it's a whole different ballgame when you've got to organize work for others and find out what motivates them to get it done. So, I mean, I can, I can, talk, I can talk all day long. You have to shift, shift from tactical to strategic. You have to shift from you know, being product process centric to being more customer centric. And that customer could be your employees. It could be inner 
departmental customers. It could be the external customer. So there are a lot of shifts in perspective, I think, that you need to have. And then you have got to start caring about your business reputation and the experience you give others. You should care about that as an individual contributor, but boy, do you become center stage as a leader. So I'm curious, Sarah, are you, that example you gave, I love it. uh, And that audit, I really love that because I think, I do think people can know their leadership style, even if they haven't had the position of leadership, because I think some of their values will determine what that style is going to be. How do you typically look at people or not look at people? And another great one popped into my head was that I ask people a lot or tell leaders, actually, this is my rare telling is when you're in that more senior leadership role, 80 to to 90% of the time, their idea has to be good enough, even if yours is better. (laughs) Occasionally, your more brilliant idea, because you might be better than them. You're here. I get it. But your answer is not always required. And if it's 90% your answer, because it's all yours is probably going to be better, they're not, they're not going to come up with any more ideas and they're not going to feel supported and empowered. So I, I think those are great questions. I love it. And the follow-up is this, that person, did you know the company they're in? Because I would think that only works if that company believes in the same values around leadership that you're teaching him. Yeah. I mean, that's true. Um, and in this case, yes, because I, I want to believe that I wouldn't be hired to uh, offer a strategy session with these leaders if the company didn't align with, with what it is I was uh, communicating. But, but where I think there may be uh, something here to, to tag on or piggyback on is this idea that I also said that just like it's incumbent upon you to see if there's a fit it's incumbent upon the people who are hiring for a role to make sure that you are a fit. Yes. So it works both ways, right? Yeah. It's it interesting because what we, one of the other people that we've had on the podcast has talked about the, the issues of you're, you're usually promoted because of your technical prowess, but then people are looking at you as a leader for your character. And there's this, there's this disconnect between why you're promoted and what's actually required of you. Yeah. I mean, that's the classic case. Um, I, I would like to think I've seen it maybe even just in the past, as little as the past five years with companies that I work with, where there, there is more attention paid to candidates, total package. Right. right, not just their skills, their know-how, mm-hmm. um, their you know uh, in- institutional knowledge. <laughs> I'm seeing it more and more, and and I guess it's because <laughs> companies have probably suffered enough pain uh, <laughs> associated with what happens when they continue to just promote subject yeah. matter experts despite the experiences they give others. Good. So there's some learning going on. I think I think there is. Good. So, Sarah, you you have a unique experience, at least different than mine, um, and I, perhaps Craig as well. You work with very large organizations typically, and I don't. I'm sure at various levels. I tend to work with small and mid-sized businesses, and I'm curious about whenever I think about how we're going to, you know, 
What are the expectations of people? What are we looking for? Often the challenge is there's a disconnect above them. Like you may say, I'm, I'm at this level and this is what I'm really trying to grow strong leaders in a holistic way, but up above, they haven't bought in. So I'm building these leaders, which I encourage people to do it. Go ahead and build them. If you believe what's right, you should do what's right. But sure. then they run into this wall of people saying like, for example, literally I've heard people say, why are you spending so much time with your people? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I, my I, job, I'm the leader, <laughs> But like, talk about those disconnects that can happen because, and again, you've been in larger organizations where maybe the disconnect doesn't matter as much if they're really distant from that team. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, again, I keep thinking of, of examples of this. And again, one came up yesterday in a workshop and this was a, you know, director level guy who, you know, his his area of development that he wanted to grow was talent development, right? Helping his people grow and work on their individual, you know, development plans. And he said, you know, I just got back from two days of vacation and I have about 600 emails and my stomach just dropped. But this is very typical wow. of this organization. And then I, so I, I battle constantly with making enough time. Um, and when I say that talent development was an area for him, it wasn't just self-identified. He had a, a survey that, that told him, not that he was failing at it, but that he had some room to grow there, right? And so, yeah, the disconnect, even if the senior leadership team at this organization has it as a value, right? Or a metric, but they're bombarding you with meetings and objectives and untenable turnaround times, then that's a disconnect right there. There's just, you don't leave people time. Um, and you know, so so even though it may not be a communication disconnect, it's like you said, it's a cultural disconnect in what they say they value and what they actually value, <laughs> right? Oh, I, dead on, dead on. I, and I think that it's because that's something we hear regularly. And now I'm a little snarky with people, as you might have guessed, even in the business setting. So I have leaders regularly say, Jeff, I understand developing the people is important. Is important. I'm just struggling to make time for it. And my response is, what the hell are you doing then? Because that's your job, actually. In my view of leadership, that's your number one job. But you're saying you have to find time from all this other stuff. And I do believe that can be both. It can be what they're used to and comfortable with. But to your point, it's, what are those expectations and demands coming from over here that people saying, yeah, growing your people is really vital. It's one of our core values. And we need you in 17 meetings in the next three days. And there's this other stuff. And you'll, so, yeah, I think it's, I, and I think to your book title, I think it's a blind spot. Even though it's pretty obvious if you, once you've seen it, 
But to me, a blind spot, it can be super obvious, but if I don't realize it's happening, it's still a blind spot. That's right. There's in that book, I talk about there's self-awareness and there's what I call applied self-awareness. Amen. Right? God, I love you that. Know, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's like the score at halftime at a football game. It doesn't really matter. Right. <laughs> um, right. It, it can change. And so we, we got to take that ball and we got to take it all the way through yeah. and we got to do something about it um, because that's what ultimately matters. Well, I think there's a phrase that, that Jeff just came up with a couple of days ago, or at least that's the first time I heard it. Um, your definition of HR, Jeff. Oh, human resuscitation professionals. <laughs> I they love can, it. They actually can breathe life into the people and breathe life into the culture. And I challenge HR leaders with that because too often I think they're waiting for the more senior leadership to give them permission to build that culture. And I've said, look, if, if you believe in what you do, just do it every day and basically dare senior leadership to come and tell you to stop because we need that. We need more humanity in our culture and our teams. And if, if senior leadership's not going to do it, you can, then why are you here? <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, and I have to admit that when I heard that, I, I, I didn't have necessarily the, the positive <laughs> image of it. Exactly. Um, I, I had to admit, I was, you know, I was thinking that was a good analogy because so many leaders are exhausted. Yeah. They are, they feel like nothing more than walking to-do lists and firefighters and they're beginning to lose that sense of achievement that, that comes with actually helping the company evolve because they're just regulated to meeting after meeting, firefighting. And, you know, much of the time, I think HR becomes the, the, the career counselor, the leadership yeah. counselor to help these exhausted leaders um, in some ways navigate, but literally just to be a listening ear. Hmm. That's interesting. interesting. It, that is about, I'm not surprised. And I think leaders are still, unfortunately today are getting it from all sides because to your point, they're exhausted. They got a to-do list. They're feeling pressure from above. They're feeling pressure from peers. They're feeling pressure from their team who wants more from them. And they, they have nothing to give. And then they're often being challenged by leaders above saying, you're not leading. <laughs> you know, I don't, what am I supposed to, and usually this is the, this is the catch. Their answer is what more do you want me to do? I'm giving everything I've got plus 30%. Yeah. When it it's not priorities. about more, it's about different. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause when you were talking about the, your approach, Sarah, in, in the issue of uh, firefighting and stuff. I remember the first time I came in as, as uh, you know, head of IT for a company and the first presentation I made to the, the greater leadership team was I literally had a fire, um, you know, a fire extinguisher. Yeah, and I put it on the table. I said, we are not firefighters. I said, we will get your problem solved, but we're also shifting things so that stuff don't break to begin with. Right. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. 
Beta Gamma Sigma is the International Business Honor Society, exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers, and their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members. Welcome back. One interesting thing that this bubbles up for me is an article I read, and I think it's true, and it was, it was not very long ago, and I'm not going to be able to give the person credit, it was in Harvard Business Review. And it was an interesting study on especially leaders and high-performing leaders, some of the expectations and the pressure that they feel is self-induced. And, and, and let me explain. The, the author went on to explain that we either assume that our bosses or <laughs> our teams have certain expectations of us, mm -hmm. or we have expectations of ourselves. And, you know, it happens to me all the time. I'm, I run, I'm self-employed. I run my own business. And yet, I'll be having lunch with my sister and I'll say, oh my God, yeah, I have to get this done and this done by the end of the month. And she'll just look at me and say, oh, really? Mm -hmm. And and who told you you had to get this? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, right? <laughs> so it's the pressure I put on myself yeah. and, and it becomes stressful and worrisome if we are trying to meet an expectation that we're not even sure exists. I'll give you another example. I had a, a co uh worker who was, we were both leaders at a company. She became a great friend, but we would be in a meeting. And at the time she had two small children. I didn't have kids yet. And, you know, her time was, you know, 530, she was out. We would get an assignment and she would look at my boss straight in the eye and she would say, let me clarify, is this a beauty contest or can I just get you the numbers? <laughs> right. Well, but if you think about it, it's brilliant because yeah. We and leaders do this all the time. They come up with these incredible spreadsheets with pivot tables and because they're making an assumption, perhaps not always, that they need to go overboard on something when in fact, maybe they could have put some numbers in an email. So just checking in with people's expectations could be of some help and save leaders time. Is so important. And oftentimes, you know, certainly we as leaders need to be ex communicating our expectations. But if we're not getting that from the people who are working with us, we should definitely be asking those expectations. And that's that's a really good reminder. And, and I, I love what you said, Sarah. I hadn't thought about that a lot. I think that's a, a newer perspective for me about the nature of the self-imposed expectations. And and I also think that sometimes there's these really subtle statements about the expectation. So they've seen something. Like I had a client years ago who was telling me how they do a great job of maintaining the balance for their people's lives. They're in a high, a high hour environment. They said, but we monitor it and we, we track them. And if someone's getting too much, we, we make sure they back down. I'm thinking, this sounds great. This sounds great. And, and you know, during this season, when it's particularly busy, we only make them work half days. I said, that sounds great. 
And then I said, so what I'm hearing is nobody here works Sundays. <laughs> and they looked at me, this was all the owners and said, well, we do. And I said, oh, so let me get this straight. Everybody who works here can have a balanced life, but if you want to be a partner, you can't. And they just went, oh. <laughs> and they had no idea. And they were one of those groups that really wanted to change. Ah. And they started to change it. But they they just they needed that outsider to say, here's what you're actually telling your people. Yes. Have a balanced life. But if you want to be a partner, don't have a balanced life. <laughs> And those, I right. think, so often it's the little things that are more important than these massive proclamations. To your point, what's in action? What are, what's the behavior we're showing versus the words we're giving? That's right. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm curious about the title of your book, You uh, According to Them, and what, what's prompted you for that particular title? Um, I you know, I, I wanted to, ultimately, I wanted to appeal to people's sense of um, self, right? I mean, <laughs> let's face it, everybody wants to know how to get ahead and, yeah. oh, is this about me? Um, so I thought that would be something that would grab people's attention. And of course, the you according to them is really critical yeah. in whether you're an individual contributor or a leader, you in the workplace, and this does happen personally, but, but very much so in the workplace, you are being judged by much more than your output. And, <laughs> yes. and people are making decisions about whether to work with you, whether to promote you or send you to represent the company yeah. on much more than your output. Yeah, good point. Well, and I, I hadn't seen that. I'm glad you brought that up, Craig, because when I heard that just a moment ago, what hit me was a discussion over bourbon and cigars two days ago where we were talking about that so many leaders are so focused on assessing how they are as a leader and never asking the only people who matter, mm -hmm. not just somewhat, but the only people who can tell you how you are as a leader is someone else, the people who are being asked to follow you. Your opinion is irrelevant. I mean, it's, it's helpful in terms of your own self. Sure. Um, self-confidence and how you see yourself. But ultimately, your opinion of yourself as a leader is irrelevant. What do your people think about you? Yeah. And, you know, I have read countless times about, especially the millennials and how one of the things they most want is feedback, hmm. right? Or that people want more feedback. And yet I encounter over and over again, that people say they want feedback, but they stop short of actually getting it. Hmm. And the reason is very simple. You know, we, we do want to learn and grow, but we want to be accepted just the way we are. And those two things run counter, right? And so it's, it's very hard for people to take that leap. Um, and you probably know this from speaking or anything you do, right? I have to, to take my own advice and I, I'm, I have to ask for feedback at the end of a, of a workshop or I don't have to, but I, in order to grow, I need the feedback of what went well, what didn't, but I am no different than anybody else. I could have 85% of the comments be positive 
But what do I hone in on? <laughs> I fixate on. Yep. Are the few people who I didn't, whatever reason, didn't click with, didn't resonate, or had great specific feedback that I could learn from. And so it's really hard, but I tell leaders all the time, you know, I even have a platform that I offer when I'm speaking where they can take advantage of it at no charge. And I've been using that as a way to gauge statistics so that I can tell them. Last, last week, I did a presentation for 500 people. I offered this platform for free. Guess how many took me up on it? What percentage? Three and they're less. shocked. Three or less. It's three or less. Not percent, three or less. Uh, no, actually, in this case, it's 3%. Oh, wow. So you got a great results. Yeah. <laughs> great results. But if you think about, yeah, that's dismal. And dismal. what happened to all these people who said they wanted feedback? <laughs> this is a tool that's self-managed. You put in the emails. It's anonymous, done for you. And yet. 3%. Well, so it, it comes back to that word that we used before, which is trust. I mean, ultimately, we're not going to put ourselves out there unless we have that sense of safety that other people have our backs, that they're genuinely there to help us grow, not right. just beat us up. Well, and yep. I think there's an additional issue because the trust part, I think, comes more in how we take the feedback and how we hear it and whether we're open to it. But to your point, I don't know if this is your same point, Sarah, when I talk to people who are all saying, I want more feedback, I want more feedback. I said, well, here's how you, here's how you get more feedback. You ask for it. You ask for it. You ask for it. <laughs> you ask for it. And then when you get to the point that if you asked one more time, it would be annoying. And then you ask for it. And if you still don't get it, then you leave or change it or give up because the fact is they're not asking because when they'll say, I don't get feedback, I said, well, let me help me understand. So let's say they report to you, Sarah. So you were in a meeting with Sarah and you walked out of the meeting. And so you stood in front of Sarah and said, Sarah, I would love to get some feedback on how I did in that meeting. And Sarah looks at you and says, no. Well, no, no, that never happens. No, the, oh, so she looks at you and says, I don't have time right now. Well, no, that, that actually hasn't happened either. So what's really happened is you want more feedback and you put it on the survey and you haven't got it. And I think there's two parts. I think there is some cultural laziness of just, I think there is some, I'm going to get, they're going to give it to me or not. I shouldn't have to ask for it. Right. Or to your point, both of you, I don't really want it. And I only want it if I'm really going to get it easy, because <laughs> why do I want to go beg for something and then get something that's painful? So I'll yeah. just hang over here and then I can blame them. And I think, I don't think I've said this. I've said this word many times. I think it's a form of victimhood within a team hmm. to say, I'm not getting what I want, but I'm not asking for it. Right. But then it's your fault because, and then I'm going to leave because you didn't give me what I didn't ask for. Well, there's yeah. another piece to this too. And that is that sometimes we ask for feedback and we actually get it, but then we don't respond very well in receiving it. So therefore we're teaching the other person that we really don't want that feedback. Yeah, that's right. That's absolutely right. Um, it is, it's hard to digest or, or the other mistake is when we do ask for feedback, it's way too general. 
And so yes. people don't know what to do with that. We question. did a great job, Sarah. Yeah. Waste you know, time. Well, the feedback is general, but even asking the question is too general. So how do you think I did? Or what do you think about me? E- either you're going to hear what they think you want to hear. Right. Or they're not going to give you rich feedback. But if you're specific and if you say, I want to be the kind of leader that others described as, you know, forward thinking, fair-minded, one who could ignite fire in a stagnant organization, and that others describe working with me as X, Y, and Z. Can you tell me if what I'm doing is either supporting that descriptor or in any way detracting from that? That is so good, Sarah. I love that. Now you've given them something to really ponder and give you very specific feedback. Yes. What I love about that is I think it does two or three additional things. One is it says to that person, I'm being very intentional in my growth. I'm not, I'm not here to just get better. I'm telling you what it looks like, and I'm telling you who I am. Mm-hmm. Number two, this is something I think we do miss in feedback. I'm teeing it up because I'm bringing it into their consciousness so they can actually see that. Because a lot of times they, they didn't pay attention. But if you got like even a little thing, if you went to your lead, your manager and said, you know, I've been thinking and I feel like I get feedback that says I need to be uh, more of a presence in a meeting. So I'm going to be working on that for the next few weeks. Can you, you know, pay attention and I'll let you know. Well, now they actually see it happening. Right. That most of the time they would miss because usually change is subtle. It's subtle. It's not like you went from a a two to 11. In, in a week. And right. So I love that. I love how they're taking ownership of their own growth, yeah. but they're not doing it alone. They're saying, can you support me in this I think, journey? I think there's another piece in there, which is the vulnerability of, of actually expressing what it is that you're trying to do that you realize you're not awesome in every aspect, but that you, you have this growth goal. You want to do that. That's really good. Um, the other thing I would say is you're, you're absolutely right, Sarah. If you tee it up and to your point, Jeff, tell them ahead of time, because frankly, nobody's really caring about you that much during the meeting. They're not paying attention right, to what you're not, doing. Yeah. They're focused on what they're doing. Right. That's right. They are. They That's are. right. And I like what you said, Sarah, about the specificity. Mm-hmm. Can you say more about that? Because I think that most feedback that is given is horrible. <laughs> because it usually goes into a couple categories. This is something we've all heard in our careers. You know, Jeff, um, pretty good work, but I think, you know, you need to learn to work faster and make fewer mistakes. Well, that's actually not feedback. That's an assessment. Right. Yes. And that's and the difference of being an assessment and the feedback that says, by the way, Jeff, let me share some ideas with you of how you might do that. And let's talk about maybe what are the things that are causing that performance that you can work on versus just change my assessment of you. Right. And if you're in an innovative role, that's about the worst feedback you could possibly get. It's just saying, hey, you know, you need to make fewer mistakes and get it done faster. That that doesn't work in an innovative environment. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, and leaders get 
you know, you need to have more executive presence or you need to be more strategic. And that's the same kind of thing. They're just left wondering, well, what does that mean? Right? That doesn't really help me out here. So, you know, if you can be as specific as possible, and I specifically, you know, urge, especially high potentials and leaders to, to think about, you know, when you think of adjectives that others, that you want others to use when describing you, a lot of times you get a, a rolled eye, right? Because we've seen this before. If you were a serial, how would you be described? <laughs> Fruit Loops. Or, you know, I, I've seen those questions on like brand type questionnaires and yeah. they drive me crazy because then it, it paints the whole process with the same brush. But if you really think about it, these leaders often get described as being action oriented, organized, friendly, genuine. You know, there's a whole list, right? And I always tell them those are table stakes. If you really want to get ahead and you want to stand out, you need to think about things like innovative, global minded, forward thinking, industrious. Those are the kinds of things that are going to separate you from your counterparts. So that specificity for your receiver who's giving you feedback, that is just so helpful. And even the description of what do you want others to say it's like to work with you? You know, usually leaders go, oh, I haven't really thought about that. You know, are, are you, you know, really responsive? Um, you know, there, there's so many different angles to that. Yeah. You know, it'd be interesting an exercise after listening to you, Sarah, that list is to have people create that list and then redo the list to look at the traits for high producers. Because what I think we'd find is they're almost all the same. A lot of those things you said, like how often on that list for leaders, do we say they're great developers of people, right? <laughs> right. Where we get, go back to these defaults. So, um, I, I love this conversation. I, I do want to ask you one closing question here, Sarah. Sure. Because you've said something a lot, and um, I just want to check in with you. It's about being strategic. Because I've made an argument that strategic in leadership is strictly positional. In that someone says, well, all leaders are strategic. And I said, I know some people who are incredible leaders who are not strategic at all but that people follow them and people mm -hmm. love them and they care about their people and they can accomplish more than a hundred people. So my question is, I feel like strategy is often a part of the elevation versus the leadership itself. So I'm curious about your thoughts on that. Well, I, I think, I think strategy just like leadership can happen at, at every level. So you, and it separates from, you know, can you think strategically? Can you demonstrate your ability to be strategic? That's another layer. Um, and so, you know, even if I think about somebody who shifted for, for the first time as a leader, to me, strategy is as much about being able to balance thinking both short-term and long-term. It doesn't necessarily mean you're at the executive table figuring out 
what your global strategy is mm -hmm. for the next three years, right? Yeah. I just think it strategy can belong in different places. Well, I think the scope of strategy changes as you exactly. move up in an organization because you know at the, at the top you're looking not only at your company but you're looking at in comparison to other competitors other you know partners you're looking at the whole industry you're looking at the global workforce you know stepping back you're looking at maybe a business unit and the strategy around that versus right. the whole thing sure sure so from that perspective you know, I, I think everybody has an opportunity to think more strategically as opposed to tactical, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I've had leaders tell me who are directors, um, granted in a large organization, that they're not included in strategy conversations, mm -hmm. that they want to be more strategic, but that's not available to them, right? They're not included in those conversations. They're just told to cascade. Have the they asked? Yeah, that's a good question. Probably not. Um, but these are the same leaders who are exhausted and probably don't even want to <laughs> sell. Only another meeting. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I suspect some of them have asked too. There's going to be a mix. And I sure. think my, my takeaway on that last piece is how important it is that we not only get clear on expectations, but in what it means because Craig, you and I have talked about this recently on other episodes, the, that piece from Band of Brothers yeah. about the sergeant who's told that this group has had, the platoons had great leader, a great leader for a long time. And the guy looks and says, you don't know who I'm talking about, do you? He said, no, he said, it's you. <laughs> You're the one that's been looking out for these men. You're the ones that made sure you knew who they, you did all the things you need to do. And my guess is somewhere in there, there is some strategic thinking that he wouldn't even know what that meant, but it's going to be different at different levels. And so just saying you need to be strategic to yeah. me is back to that. That's not really helpful feedback. It's not. You need to be more of this in behavior and thinking, and that's what I'm calling strategic. And so I think right. there's some lazy communication that yeah. we need to get past. So yeah, we're just awesome, coming back Sarah. and saying, hey, you know, you need to be more strategic. And this is what it looks like in this role. And as you progress into the next role, you know, some of the things that you'll be thinking about are this, this, and this. Well, yeah, and so an they can start of, developing. And the interest of great feedback also telling them, here's where I've seen you be, be strategic. Great. Yeah. But you go, oh, that was strategic? Yeah. More <laughs> of that. That was strategical. Strategical. Yes. Right. Uh, I knew this would be so cool, Sarah. I am so grateful yes. you were here with us. Uh, I learned some new things, some new perspectives. And to me, you know, you used the word shift. We love the word <laughs> shift. Uh, some new shifts have happened, and I'm sure they have with our listeners. So I, we want to wrap up. And number one, is there anything in particular going on with you or your business that you want to promote for our listeners? Well, you know, um, there is uh, something I have out there that, that, your listeners can, can access. It's called the Modern Leader Index. There's no charge. There's no signing up for my newsletter. It is what it is. If you go to just the Modern Leader Index and you answer a, a, a survey of you know, 15 questions, um, it will then uh, give you an automated report showing you how much on a scale you are clinging to traditional leadership mm -hmm. practices 
whether you're in the moderate range of balancing some traditional leadership challenges and then taking on some new uh, modern and even counterintuitive strategies, or mm -hmm. whether you have completely evolved into a modern leader. And not only do you get the gauge of where you are, but you get suggestions based on that into how to evolve further down that spectrum. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's something that might be helpful to your audience. And of course, if they want more, there's information on there, how to take my course uh, on the same topic through LinkedIn learning and or read my book. So Jeff, you got you to gotta hear this. Welcome to the Modern Leader Index. Are you willing to shake up the way you think, work, and lead? <laughs> boom, 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 boom. See, that confirms it. I was going to say, Sarah, you know this. Within 15 minutes of us finishing, there will be two more people taking that, and Excellent. I will be one of them. Excellent. Uh, so, so you mentioned the website. Is that the best way for people to connect with you, or is there another way? Yeah, I mean, they can connect with me. Um, if they really want to connect with me, LinkedIn's probably the best. Uh, I spend, you know, a lot of time responding to people on LinkedIn. I take it very seriously. And, you know, they can go to my website, uh, sarahcanaday.com. And there's no H on Sarah. And it's Canada, just like Canada, but with a Y, Canaday. Um, so, yeah, either of those uh, two, uh, they, can, they can reach out. Awesome. And so we always wrap up with a couple questions. And the first one for you, Sarah, is what is the book? I'm sure you've read a lot. You've written a few. What's the one book people need to read to enhance their leadership and impact? Oh, gosh. You know, this one is hard because I think there are so many books that may, you could argue, would say very similar things about leadership, but because of the person, one over the other might resonate. Yeah. It's, 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 it's literally in the personality. There's one book that, um, that I've always liked. It's a classic. It's called Leadership and Self-Deception. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> the box. Yes. Box that we don't know we're in. Yes. Um, I think Blind that's... Spot. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably one of my favorite because it, it just kind of takes you back and you look at something. It's not necessarily a how-to book, right? Because leaders were used to just like, okay, tell me, what do I do? Okay, right? Um, this one, that's not the approach here. But by design, that's not the approach. Well, uh, you know, so the great thing about that book is it's also a great read for someone who's about to have children. Yeah. Ah, uh, <laughs> yes. And you only know that if that. you've read the book, right? The opening yeah. story. <laughs> yeah. Um, hmm. So that's, I th that one stands out to me because it's cool. different. It, it's not, uh, it doesn't lay out the, the plan, if you will. And the second final question, no pressure here, but lay a piece of wisdom on us. Something we haven't talked about that people need to hear today. Uh, it's going to sound corny, but I tell people to gift yourself with your own presence. Oh, and gift, so good. And gift others with your presence. You know, I, I just, it's such a lost art. And I will say this. I always think about wisdom that I would impart as the wisdom that I most need. Because trust me. I am a work in progress 
when it comes to being present. It, it is literally something I have been working on for years because I'm always in motion. I'm always either worried about something that happened or could happen, <laughs> or I'm thinking about what I need to do or what should happen. And so the, the presence has so many different angles, right? It, it will allow us to just really be able to get better at thinking because I think today's complexity allows us to, to, it demands that we both do more and think more. But I also think that as leaders, we have to be more present with our teams. And if COVID didn't hit us over the head with that, I don't know what will. (laughs) Um, Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it just makes me think about, there's a, there's a, the, a friend of mine that uh, unfortunately passed away several years ago, but man, one thing I remember about her is that every time I was with her, I, w- I felt like I was the only person, not only in the room, but in the world. Mm. I mean, she had such a gift of being so present with me. And I, I again, it's something that I think is a lost art and, and something we need to try to get back to. Love it, Sarah. You must have read my book, my last book. Just sounds final, like our, our that's soul the sister. final chapter. Ah, and it's all the things you said, and uh, I don't know. I probably between this and every, I I probably have said it thousands of times. That phrase that when I am present for another human being, or you are, we give them the most incredible gift on the planet. That for that time, they are the most important person in the world. And that they are the only thing that matters for that time. That's yes. beautiful stuff, Sarah. Thank you. And, and as I tell all our guests, thank you for not only being here sharing, but the work you do in the world because it matters. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. This was fun. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.